David, a teenager and the youngest of his family. David, who was the only there to deliver some food and for his older brothers who were old enough to fight, and then he was to return and tend the sheep. David, who was discouraged and chastised by his eldest brother. You don't belong here. Who are you to even open your mouth? David, who was discouraged by the king of Israel. Can you imagine your little boy standing up and saying, I want to go fight that giant? Can you imagine your youngest son going and standing before a king and saying, it's my turn to go and fight for the people of Israel? Israel. David, who was discouraged, who wasn't even big enough to wear the armor or carry a sword, spoke so boldly to a giant while the rest of the army hid in their tents. David, who not only faced the giant, but ran directly at him. He not only ran, says the scripture, but he ran quickly. He hurried. He ran and threw himself full force at the giant. Whatever David had, I want some of it. And I desperately want some of it for our church today. And we're left to ask, what is it that would motivate young David to launch himself at a giant? Well, a psychologist might answer, you know what? David had some family dynamics that were going on here. You know, when Samuel came to anoint a king, David wasn't even called upon. His dad didn't even think he was worthy to make the lineup. And so David had something to prove. There were family dynamics going on. That's what a psychologist might say. I don't think it's the truth. Then on the other hand, there's some cynics that might say, well, David was just in it for the reward, wasn't he? After all, great riches had been promised to anyone that would stand up to this giant. The the daughter of the king was offered to any man that could beat Goliath. A cynic would say, well, he was just in it for the reward. I don't think so. Rather, I think the answer to David's motivation is found in verses 46 and 47. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. That, here's the reason, he says it, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly may know that the Lord is not delivered by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. What was David's motivation? David was mad. He was mad at anyone that would taunt the living God of Israel. David asked, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? He insulted the people of Israel, and through the people of Israel, he insulted the one true God, the God who David loved, the God who David was passionate about, so much so that David could not sit with the rest of the army and allow it to continue. What motivated David was a passion and a burning desire and a love for God. A love as David described in Psalm 18, I love you, O Lord, my strength. 
the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. Or church, can you see in your mind's eye this morning a young David sitting out on a stone in the middle of a cold, dark night, and, and, and there he is out tending the sheep, and, and he looks up, there's no fires, there's no ambient light, and so he looks from one horizon to the other horizon, and it is a beautiful blanket of stars as far as he can see. And so out of that beautiful moment, his heart overflows. Love and passion and words begin to tumble out of his mouth. The heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring his works. The heavens, there's no words, says David. There's not enough words. There's not enough good words to describe the power and the beauty of what God has created. In fact, he says, the heavens have no need of words. There are no words that are enough. And the very thought of the greatness of God, oh, here today, church, the very thought of the greatness of God, passion begins to gush. These words flow out. The law of the Lord is perfect. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is unclean, enduring. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much more than fine gold and sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And finally, that passion culminates. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. He considered in that moment the greatness of God. And in that moment, haven't we done that? I hope we have this morning as we consider the faithfulness of God in our own life and the beauty and the majesty and the, and the way things, he has made them work together. And what else can we do except stop and love him? Why is it that we know the story of David and Goliath so well? Why do we consider David as perhaps the greatest king of Israel? Is he the greatest king? Did he preside over Israel at its height of power? Absolutely not. Well, maybe we know this story because, well, David was such a sinless man. You know, he was perfect. He was, no, not at all. He committed atrocious mistakes. Why then do we know this story so well? Isn't it because of David's passion and love for his God. Isn't it because when we read about David or when we hear the, the men's quartet, the, the men stand up and sing that song, isn't there something that begins to resonate within us? That there's something good and right and the example that David sets for us, the courage, the power, the passion is worthy of our imitation the purpose of our creation. 
Which brings me to the most important question of the day. Listen, church, how is your passion, your love for God this day? Some might say, I I hope you do. My love for God is a burning light. It is a heat that overflows into the community. People are being saved because of the passion and love I have for him. How's your passion? Some also might reply, well, it's steady. You know, it's it's good. There may be a, a time in my life when I loved my God more passionately than I do today, but but I'm okay. I'm good enough. There's some here today that might say, well, I'm, I'm here because we always come here. My family comes here. I enjoy the fellowship. We have lunch together after church. But passion isn't really a word that I use. It's not something that crosses my mind. I want to tell you this morning, church, that this wasn't a sermon I wanted to preach. In fact, I, I fought for it against it several days. In fact, this was the third sermon that I wrote. But I knew that this was the one I was supposed to bring. The first one was this. The first one I tried, you know, someone had mentioned to me, and and they said, you know, we really need a a sermon on giving and on tithing, and, and certainly we need a word on the topic. Our giving is down, and if the trend continues, it's going to cause some some real problems. But that wasn't the message I was supposed to bring, nor is it the core of the problem. The second sermon I began to write was one on soul winning. I was going to write one about the Great Commission, you know, and because the greatest desire I have for this church is it to be known as a soul winning, growing, and thriving church. And so the second message I, I considered was on the Great Commission. But again, I knew it wasn't the message nor the core of the problem. I knew late last week what the message was. It was a Holy Spirit message for me and I believe for us. I, and I never would say that lightly. The Spirit spoke to my spirit late last week and it was a simple and unexpected word. The message is this. Church, it's time for us to be great. And greatness comes from a burning passion and a single-minded love for God. And church, I do not believe that we are a great church today. Now that may anger some people. And some people may counter, this is a busy church. This is an active church. This is a good church. I would agree. The words remind me, you know, this is a good church. And the very words remind me of a, a book authored by Jim Collins entitled, Good to Great. In the opening lines of that book, he said, good is the enemy of great. And that is the one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it is so easy to settle for a good life. The vast majority of companies never become great precisely because the vast majority become quite good. And that is their main problem. This is a good church and one I love and one I am proud to be a part of. But we are also a comfortable church. And we are a satisfied church. 
and good is not good enough. And if you disagree, let me ask you a couple questions to determine your level of passion this morning. A simple question, have you shared the good news of Jesus Christ with anyone in the last month, in the last year, in the last five years? And please, let us drop the weak excuses and self-justifications. I am weary of people saying, I just, I don't know how to share the gospel, or they don't know anyone who doesn't, isn't already a Christian. If you have passion for anything, you will figure out how to tell someone about it. We talk about NASCAR, but we don't know how to build an engine. We talk about our grandchildren. We have pictures and their drawings, and we can work them into any conversation. Enough excuses. Have you shared the gospel? Have you led someone to Jesus Christ? Have you fought to bring someone to church? If you did it, it was because you had a love and a passion for a God who is worthy of greatness. It's not a knowledge problem. It's a passion problem. Second question. Are you tithing? Are you giving beyond the tithe? Because whatever you are passionate about, or should I say whoever you are passionate about, you will sacrifice for. No passion no sacrifice. Enough excuses. With the age and maturity of this church, we know what the scriptures command and require. Giving is one of the best and most succinct indicators of the level of our passion. This is a good church, but good will not be good enough. Our congregation is aging. And we are thankful for the contributions of the seniors and, and how they have stood up and brought us to this point. But without a younger generation to replace them, we are headed for difficulties. Our financial trend line is headed in the wrong direction. But all of that is probably secondary to this one thing that we are called for today. Deuteronomy 6.5, it has always been the calling of people of faith. We are to love the Lord our God with everything we are, with our heart, with our soul, and with all our might. We are to love a God with a burning passion. We are to love a God who is worthy. And brothers and sisters, I'm afraid we have taken our eyes off of the prize. We have committed to spending $750,000, three quarters of a million dollars, on facilities, equipment, and land, most of which are very good things. But as we look around, I'm afraid that nothing much has changed. And unless we find our passion and return to our first love, I'm afraid that nothing much will change. And some might offer, some might say, you know, well, you know, if we just had an organ player, if we just had someone that we could lead back to the good old hymns, or, or if some others would say, if we just did more contemporary music, if we just added another guitar and another song, and I confess that thought has crossed my mind as well, and music is important, but it will never replace a loving God, loving God with everything that we are. Nothing will replace seeking him throughout the week and then passionately coming into his house prepared to worship him. 
I've heard too many stories about people of faith waiting for hours, sometimes in the snow, walking miles, crammed in poor facilities. The, the, the underground church in China, places in the Middle East where people are fighting to worship. They have no organs or no pianos. It's not a matter of that, but they know that they have something else, and that is a passion for God. How is your passion today? In his book, Good to Great, Jim Collins writes, unfortunately, good gives us a false sense of security. We feel okay because while we may not have reached our potential, at least we're not bad. We can do good work on autopilot, but great work takes, listen, initiative, creativity, passion, and courage. That sounds like a lot of effort when there's no burning need to change. That's why good is the enemy of great. It becomes, it, it lulls us, it deadens us, it seduces us into thinking we really don't need to try. You're not that bad, so why bother? Good is good enough. It's not anymore. We need your greatness. We need you to step up and go to the next level. However you define yourself, he says, parent, husband, wife, leader, artist, follower of Jesus, there it is. Don't settle for good. Aspire for greatness. Greatness changes the world. Greatness changes our community. Greatness will change our church. Greatness comes from a passion and a burning love for Jesus Christ. How is your passion this morning. Good is what? Neither hot nor cold, is it? Which reminds me of the words of Jesus to the church at Laodicea. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Good is not good enough. Or the letter to the Ephesians, Jesus says, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance. In other words, you are a busy church and you cannot tolerate evil and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you have found them to be false. In other words, you know the scripture, you've studied the Bible, but I have this against you. You have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the deeds. You did it first or else I am coming and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. I have been discouraged over these last several weeks. I allowed myself, I think along with Kenny as we worked last summer, to get too exhausted and it affected my prayer life. My prayer life suffered. I've been discouraged about other challenges here at the church as well to the point where I thought to myself, well, perhaps I can just be a caretaker for those that are at the church. We'll take care of our facilities. We'll take care of one another. Maybe that will be good enough. But I'm not built that way. And I hope you weren't either. And the Spirit spoke to me last weekend and said, it's time to be great. And greatness comes from passion. And so today I recommit my life and love to Jesus Christ. I commit myself and rededicate myself to prayer. 
and I recommit myself to this church. Likewise, I call upon my fellow ministers of the church. My brothers, there was a time when there was nothing more important to us than serving God and his people. While in seminary, we hungered and anticipated the day that we could serve God, love God in such a place. Together, may we find that passion. To my brother and sister deacons, I call on you to be the spiritual leaders of this church. If that means letting go of the maintenance and the management of facilities, then so be it. There are more than enough committees to take care of it. Together, may we rededicate our lives to our first love, to prayer, to seeking his wisdom so that we can meet the needs of this fellowship and go forth out into our community. May passion compel us to fulfill our calling as servants of the church. And to the body of Christ at Jonesboro Heights, here is the good news. Or should I say here is the great news. Jim Collins in his book says, Great vision without great people is irrelevant. Great vision without great people is irrelevant. Here is the great news. I have never been part of a better congregation than this one. I have never been part of a congregation that had better potential to move from good to great. How? The words of Jesus are, of course, the most important of the day. Let us return to our first love. Recommit our lives to him. The Spirit spoke to me this last week. It is time for us to be great. Let us rekindle our passion for Jesus Christ. And as we do, nothing will be too difficult for us as we love the Lord with everything we are. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, help me to pray even as I should this moment. Be with us in this moment, Holy Spirit. Breathe through us. We have read and heard about great revivals throughout history where your spirit swept through and breathed a new passion and fire into your people. We have heard and read about great movements throughout the world. Even this day, there are revivals that are going on. Lord God, why not here? Breathe through us so that we might honor you. Soften our hearts and even our necks so that we would humble ourselves and come before a mighty God who is worthy. The battle is yours. But, oh God, we need a fresh wind. Breathe through us. For the love that we have for you, Lord, May you make much of it. May you rekindle it 
and help it to burn so brightly that it will overflow into our community. That the lost will come. That the visitors will know that this is a place where you are worshipped. Unite our hearts in this moment. May our love burn bright for you. In Jesus' name, amen.